The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, so as you've heard, Colton read from the Gospel of Luke. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We've titled this sermon series A Feast for Failures right? Jesus has come. He's broken bread. He's sitting down with the lame, the weak, the sinners, the dirty, you name it, the unclean, and He's come to make them clean. (laughs) Bless you, and bless the rest of you, right? (laughs) So Luke, we've been going through this gospel, and in Luke chapter 1 through 8, it's really been just revealing over and over who Jesus Christ is. And in in chapter 9, Peter confesses Him as the Messiah, Last week, they were having, let's call it, a mountaintop experience, right? They, saw, they got to witness Jesus transfigured, his face shining like the sun, his clothing vibrantly white like lightning across a dark sky. And they are like, whoa, this is good. Peter's like, I think we should like, put some tents up and just stay here. Now, that's not where they're going to be at today, though. Have you ever had that moment? Now, I don't mean where you got to see Jesus and his face shine, but you ever had a moment where it's like a spiritual high? You know what I mean? A mountaintop moment, right? Many times that can happen when you first come to faith. Or maybe you have a particular period of of spiritual growth and you're maturing. and, And every time you go to the Word of God, it seems so alive, full of instruction, full of comfort, full of, you know, It's just meeting you right where you're at. Prayer seems very intimate, right? It seems to come with ease. It's not an effort to pray. It's just like breathing, right? Have you ever had moments like that? Maybe you were a part of a church or a particular fellowship. Maybe it was after a conference. Maybe a short-term mission trip. Maybe it was a Christian concert. These things can happen for a variety of reasons, right? And I'll tell you, these moments are actually crucial for the Christian walk. They're crucial, right? They're crucial for Christians, but they're also crucial for churches as a whole because they're a gift from God. They're really a gift from God. And and often, these can provide almost mile markers for your journey and walk with the Lord. And you can point back to a particular moment when you might be in a season where nothing's coming easy. Everything's hard. The wind is in your face. But you can be reminded, man, I remember when the Lord was with me in a profound way at that time. And so he can definitely use those mile markers, those mountaintop moments, to carry us through seasons of difficulty. You know, valleys. When, when everything around you is tempting. Like sin's just like all around you. It's in you. It's in your head. You can't get away from it. You just want to jump off the cliff into a big bowl of things you know are not what the Lord has for you. We're going to face these opportunities, these trials, these valleys in our life. But those mile, you know, let's say mountaintop moments are needed because when Jesus said to the disciples two weeks ago, no, actually your call is to deny yourself. It's to pick up your cross and it's to follow me. He so kindly let them see. And he let all of them see. I find it so interesting. Peter, James, John, come with me. Rescue, stay down here. And then he tells them, don't talk about what you got to see up here. Not till later. Now they will talk later because Peter will write about it in 2 Peter, right? He's going to talk about that moment. That was a big moment for Peter. 
to be able to see that. But here's the challenging thing. Many people chase the mountaintop experience. Oh, they chase it. Not realizing that this was meant as a temporary encouragement, not your ongoing experience. Seriously. Oh, I've met so many people chasing that experience instead of pursuing Christ. And it can happen very easily. See, way too many disciples long to recover the spiritual freshness or excitement that we once had in our early Christian experience. Now, I would tell you that nothing is necessarily wrong with that desire. It's not, right? Unless we begin to pursue it and expect it to be our permanent arrangement. If that's your, if that's your expectation, I've got to tell you, you're going to be highly disappointed. And if you're like, not me, oh, then we need to hang out. Because I need to know about your spirit sprinkles. Because every time I read the Bible, I see these moments where King David, sitting on the throne, realizing, trusting God to defeat this giant, right? My God, will give me your head on this day. And then, oh, he just falls off the cliff into major sin. Over and over and over, this is the pattern that we see in the Christian life. And we somehow make the mistake of thinking this should be normative. And when it's not, something's wrong. Either God's not doing His thing, or I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. And so then we start to do religion. Maybe I just need to do this more, do this better. Basically try to manipulate God into making my situation better. And, and this is why so many times the church can be floundering. Can be floundering. Because we don't even realize that God's allowed that moment for His glory, for your good, and for the joy of the people you're going to come in contact with. And so, the more you follow Jesus, I think that it's true that you, you'll find, you'll begin to understand that God has provided the mountaintop experience. That moment. He has. But He's also the one who brings you into the valley of death. The desert, right? Why? Why? You might think, why would he do that to me? And in short, this is not a sufficient answer. But in short, because it's not about you. Now there's more to that statement. And we'll get into that. But it's not primarily about you. And where many people have made the mistake is they have presented Jesus Christ and the gospel and the church as a means to your happiness here on earth apart from Jesus. So the church becomes a means to an end. Jesus becomes a means to the end. But Christ will never share that. He is the end. He is the treasure. He is the joy. He is what your heart, my heart, longs for. And so to squeeze out all that fluff that does no good to your soul, He allows particular things to come into your life. And He will cause them to work for your good, to work for your ultimate joy, to work for your conforming to be more like Him. So what you begin to realize is it's not about your comfort. It's about your transformation. It's about your conforming to be more like Christ. And so that's where we find ourselves today. Luke 9, 37 through 40. I hope you have your Bibles with you. And if you do, I hope you have them open there. And, and keep them open there, right? If you don't, bring it next time. If you don't, I don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. I'd be glad to, I want to give away so many Bibles that I have to pressure people to give me money so we can give away more Bibles. But you probably already have them on your phone. 
So just pop it open. Luke 9, ready? 37 through 40, let's look at that. On the next day, what's the next day? They were up on the mountain, Jesus is shining like the sun. The next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Now, just the day before, remember, Peter, James, John, Jesus, what? Right? They had an unspeakable moment on this mountain. But now they're, wait, they're making their way down from the mountain. And what waits them? What awaits them? It's not majesty on a mountain. It's misery in a valley. And there they are. And, and that represents the world we live in. So much more than in the mountain. I mean, right? Unless you guys live maybe in a different neighborhood than I do. But I'm going to tell you right now, Sydney Street is not the mountain. It's not. I love it. I'm thankful for it. It's a great place to live. But it, it's misery on the street. It's misery in the valley. And, and so they see themselves going down. Why is this? Well, I don't think, if you've been around the church at all, hopefully you know the reason this is is because the world we live in has been fractured. It's broken. I mean, I love talking to people. They say, you know, if it's watching the news, reading the newspaper, who does that? I was on TikTok, whatever your form of getting media is. And they said, what is wrong with this place? Well, I, I actually know. It's broken. It's, it's just fractured. Imagine taking, I don't know, some pottery and just dashing it off the street. And then you tried to pick up all the pieces and glue it back together. What might it look like? It's definitely going to look different than once the, the one you held in your hand before you put it on the street, right? Well, that's our world. Why is that? Well, because sin infects and affects everything and everyone. Well, why is that? Because creation is at war with its creator. Not only do we deny him, we go way further than that. We, we essentially give him the bird, right? If you don't know what I mean by that, talk to your neighbor, right? And, and we say, we want nothing to do with you. I want to worship creation. I want to worship my job, my wife. Now, we never talk like that, but that's what we do. We try to get life from created things, not from the Creator. And because of that, we're at war with God. We're at war with God. And so this story, this account, is a powerful reminder that Jesus, the Son of God, did not come and live in glory here on earth. But He willingly waded into the human muck and mire in order to set captives free. This is why he came. Why does this matter? Because too many times, if we're not careful, and I'm talking us, I'm not talking other churches, I'm talking us, we can start to say, we got enough people around here to really just have a humdinger of a, of a cookout. And my calendar's pretty full with people that are pretty and nice, and I really enjoy them. And, and we can start to have the mindset that we want to create heaven here on earth. All the while, there are people all around us whose lives are shattered. And Jesus has said, I have blessed you so that you might be a blessing to this world. 
And we're like, yeah, but I really like my mountaintop moments. And they drowned. Picture the boy. Picture the father. This is a desperate scene. I mean, in many ways, it's, it's not different than those around us. I think of my neighbors and some people I really love and how their sin and the sin of those around them has wrecked havoc in their life, in their marriages, in them personally, physically, spiritually, mentally. They're shattered people all around. I was a shattered person when Christ saved me. I had 18 broken bones, but man, that was just the beginning of my brokenness. Those things are easy to fix. They really are. It hurts. But they shove a rod here. They put a screw there. You get some physical therapy. Yeah, you got a little gimp and a limp. But that doesn't even begin to touch the brokenness that was in Scott Rising. Picture this boy. You know, if you take the gospel accounts that talk about this young man in Matthew, Mark, Luke, you can actually get a, a really heartbreaking picture of a shattered life. Uh, I'm, just, I'm not going to give you the accounts. You can read them on your own. It's Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, right? But when, when it, it says, when the demon seizes the boy, the child screams. The spirit, this d- demonic spirit, throws him on the ground. He convulses and foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and he becomes stiff as a board. Many times it says he had been cast into fire, whether by the evil spirit or he was covered with scars because of this, the Bible says. Even worse, the spirit has made him deaf and dumb. We learned that from the other gospel writers. So that he can't even talk to his dad about what's happening when it's happening. Imagine that just for one second. If, whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids, you see a child in torment and you're like, what's going on? And most of the time, they don't even know how to explain to you what's going on. But now, imagine they, they literally cannot. They can't even share the burden. Now imagine what this dad feels. Yes, imagine what the son feels. I think we always go there. But imagine what the father feels. I remember having to get my daughter's wisdom teeth out and adenoids, or no, adenoids and tonsils and things and take her to the hospital. We went to children's, right? And I'm like, oh man, this is a terrible thing. And they put the little thing in her and she went out to sleep and I hated seeing her eyes do all that. And I'm like, man, I hope she's okay. She's in very good hands. Children's hospital is amazing. I can't imagine. I mean, you want to talk about little faith. Little faith. I'm sweating that moment. I can't imagine this, Dad. And all this is happening, and his father says, listen, it shatters him. That has just so been with me all week. It just shatters him. And will hardly leave him. Literally, this demonic spirit is crushing this kid like a pop can. And worse yet, you have this devastated and desperate father, and he says this, I've went to your apostles, your disciples for help, and, and, and they couldn't help. Now, this is interesting if you keep your mind in chapter 9 of Luke. You want to know why? Because verse 1 says this. Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. All. All. This ain't a special breed. 
They had everything they needed to do what needed to happen here. This man brings his boy, his only son, to these men who should be able to do this work, and they're not able to do it. That's a problem. And how does Jesus respond to this? Oh, guys, it's okay. Rub your little head. Come here, give me a hug. No, look at verse 41. Jesus answered. I don't know how he says it. I don't know how he says it. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? I bet it wasn't that monotone. But I don't know how it was said. I don't know how it was said. If you had a dad who was always looking at you like this, you probably heard it like, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how much... How long must I be with you? Well, you know, I don't know. But I don't think it was like that. But I also don't think, oh, oh, twisted, faithless generation. How long am I supposed to tarry on with you? Probably somewhere in between. I don't know. But look what he says. He says, bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. And listen, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Oh man, I love that. Right? That's just a beautiful picture. And we're going to get to that. But not too quick, right? Why could they not do what they had power and authority to do? Simply put, it was unbelief. It was their unbelief. Their unbelief. Their failure was not that they didn't try. I guarantee these guys tried. They loved the Lord. They loved this boy. They wanted to help this father. They really wanted to. There's no doubt they did their very best. The problem was and is still so many times. Their very best, our very best is not sufficient. It's just not sufficient. Unfortunately, they weren't desperate enough. They weren't desperate enough to call upon God to help them. They wrongly thought they had it. You ever been there? Oh, I, I have. I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> More than I even want to talk about. More than I even want to talk about. Mark tells us that they had been trying to exercise the demon without actually praying. Okay, Mark tells us that. Matthew emphasizes that it's because they lacked faith. What's that mean? They did not trust that they had power and authority to do what Jesus told them. They had the power to do. So we get this picture. Why? Now this is a little bit of conjecture, right? But I really think it, it adds up. I think it's because they had a little bit of success and they now thought they had it. And man, does that happen. Church gets some things going, people showing up. Hey, we really like what's going on here. Your worship team's blah, your pastor's blah, who cares? And we stop praying. Why? Because look at us. We stop being dependent. Why? Because look at us. They're showing up. We're doing the thing. And so many churches fall for this and lack real power. Real power. Like Holy Spirit power to where we are so desperate for our very next breath and for the, for the people of the city to come to realization that they are fallen far from grace, but the God of all grace has sent Jesus to rescue. And that they would believe in Him. 
trust Him and come and find salvation in the only one who can save. And that's Jesus Christ. So many churches lack power because we, we got it. We got it. No doubt they had cast out demons before. Certainly we can do it again. And how quickly they drift. How quickly we drift. Do you want to know if you're spiritually out to sea adrift? Ready? It's a real easy indicator. How is your prayer life? Now every one of you are like, oh, I'm such a loser. Because none of you ever think you pray enough. And you probably don't. And neither do I. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. So put your guilt away. It's not going to change any behavior in you. You'll just feel really bad and, oh, and you'll mope around. But really, how is your prayer life? How's my prayer life? See, prayerlessness is not fundamentally a discipline problem. Like, got to get up at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 5 a.m., 4 a.m. It's not. At the root, it's a faith problem. It's a faith problem. You get to a point, you're like, well, what's the point? Now, you don't say that. But you start to wonder, like, does this even work? Does he even hear me? And we just get discouraged and we just, we just tap out. We just quit. Throughout the Bible, faith and prayer go together like, like peanut butter and jelly. Right? Those who are very active in prayer trust and believe that there's a God who is and that's powerful and that hears them. And that's a gift, by the way. So if you're like, that's me, man. I'm just like, I mean, I have this amazing ability to just be a prayer warrior. <laughs> um, great. Great. But you didn't do that. You didn't do that. God did that in you. You have that gift of faith and prayer. I mean, that's, but, but we really can commit to praying. I think they, they just did not pray. We know they didn't. Mark tells us they didn't. They didn't trust. Matthew tells us. Luke doesn't give us all that. I'm actually really trying hard not to preach Matthew and Mark. <laughs> but I'm taking those little sections and I'm trying to piece it together. And that's what's going on. And how do we know that this is one of the clearest examples that faith and prayer go together like that? I'm going to give you a couple of texts. You don't have time to look them up, but listen to me. John 15, 7 says this. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And now, if you're not careful, you start to think, well, I'm going to ask for a beamer. And you might get a beamer. You might get an iron beam. Be very clear what you're asking for. But that doesn't mean that he's going to give you every little, because then James tells us you have because you don't you don't have because you don't ask but you still don't have even though you ask because you're asking for your own selfish ambitions so what's he mean here well abiding in Jesus is faith it's trusting it's dwelling it's it's just you're the vine I'm the branches you're my life I need you to bear fruit apart from you doing this work I can do nothing and so he's saying well ask for those things spiritual things Lord help me to love you more well that's a great prayer if we all just started really praying that in faith, I think that God would do amazing things in your life. But they might not come the way you want them to. They might come with a dose of pain because he's got to get your white knuckles off the things you love more than him to be able to open them up and say, you're my treasure. So the Bible says over and over, trust in God at all times, to pray in the Spirit at all times, to believe in God, to ask of God. It's easy to see that prayer is really the greatest expression of our faith in God. 
So if you want to know if you're out to drift, what's your prayer life? I know some of you are naturally just going to look at your navel and you're going to start to put your head down and say, God doesn't love me and I'm not loving God enough. That's not what I'm asking you to do here. But I will also tell you many churches won't ask you that question because they're afraid to make you uncomfortable. Jesus was never afraid to make his disciples uncomfortable. But he always met them with grace. He always met them with mercy. He always met them with love. He doesn't ditch these guys. He says, oh, come on, let's keep going. Where are we going? We're going to the cross. Oh, Oh, he's so patient. And none of us have arrived. You haven't arrived. I definitely have not arrived. Kevin, close. Just kidding. None of us have arrived. None. I always pick on Kevin because I feel most secure with him. He's my best friend outside my wife. Okay? So if you ever wonder why do I always say Kevin, because I know he won't yell at me at the end of the day. He knows we're having fun. <laughs> Churches that start to drift from trusting in God to trusting in themselves don't stop trying. They try all sorts of things. They really do. They stop praying. They stop expecting. They, they start to trust in everything but God. Do you know what I mean by that? Like they trust in their money, right? Is money needed? Yeah, it's needed. Be generous, right? They trust in their building. Or they say the reason we're not doing something is because we don't have the building we need. You have the building you need because that's the one you have. This is provision. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're starting to grow out of it until he gives us a new place. This is where we're at. We'll figure it out. Thank you, Lord. Why? Because we trust in you, not these seats, not this moment. They begin to trust their programs. They begin to trust their worship team, their coffee. You've, you've been here long enough. You know we don't trust in our coffee. It's just okay. Right? Go to a good coffee shop before you come. Say hi to the barista. Tip well. Get to know their name. Invite them to church the next time they don't work. Right? They begin to trust their preacher. They begin to trust themselves. That's what's happening to the disciples here. <laughs> and you're just so shocked by it. Because these guys are knuckleheads. Like there's nothing that has happened in their lives leading up to this moment to make them think they've arrived. They had a little bit of success. Jesus is gone. We can do this. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, you're going to see it even more next week in the account. The problem was they suddenly moved from trusting in God to trusting in themselves. And this is why Jesus said, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? (laughs) That's haunting words. Those words really come from Deuteronomy 32, from the Song of Moses. And they would have known. Every synagogue attending Jew would have known what he was saying in that moment. These men knew what he was saying in that moment. And in that moment, in Moses' time, God's people were departing from trusting in God to trusting in themselves. And any time that happens, any time you start to drift from God, what happens is crookedness always accompanies your life. But you know what? It doesn't happen real quick. It's slow. It's like a slow erosion, Right? Until you just realize, whoa, I'm in danger zone here. But what does it take to get to that moment? Well, let's not find out. Stick close to Jesus. What's, why such strong language? That is strong language by Jesus. Because God wants us to know. He wants them to know that we can't do 
what he's asking us to do. Magnify Jesus, make disciples, transform life, multiplying of church plants throughout this region. Are you kidding me? Why does he want us to know we can't? So that we can actually believe and trust. He can. He can. And he longs to. This is what he wants to do. But he won't do it with you if you want the glory. That's what he's squeezing out of these guys. That's what he's no doubt squeezing out of some of us right now. The story continues. 43, the second half of it, through 45. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, listen, he said, let these words sink into your ears. You ever talk like that to someone? I have. I have someone who is in danger. I'm like, I don't know if I said those exact words, but like, listen up. Why? Because what I have to say to you is so important. Ready? The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them. From that moment, at that moment, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. (laughs) Jesus reminds them once again of his mission of the cross. He says, listen to me. Let these words sink into your ears. I'm going to be delivered over to the hands of men. Why does Jesus keep talking this way to these guys, right? Because they, we, we don't want to hear that mission. You're going to suffer. For the city church, you're going to suffer. Individually, corporately, You're going to suffer. Some of your suffering will be because you have brought it on because of your sinful behavior. You're like, is that in the New Testament? It is. Stick with us. You'll find it. You'll see it. Some of it has nothing to do with your sinful behavior. It's because Satan's at war with God's children. Are we going to see that in Luke? You will. Stick with us. Some of it is because God is weaning us from the world. And has nothing to do with your sin. Some of it's because we just live in a fractured world. There can be many reasons. But here's the beauty. God doesn't waste not one of them. Not one of them. Listen to Him. We think, oh, there's got to be a better way. There's no better way. If you've ever encountered a beautiful people of God, you've met a people who suffered together. Who have loved through that suffering and haven't quit. Here's the thing, though. we got to know, our kings went before us. See, Jesus doesn't triumph through force, but by enduring suffering and giving his life. So why would we think our mission is different? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. You know what needs to happen in order for us to be the church that God desires us to be? we got to just keep dying. Not like physically, like we need every person here, right? So, Lord, keep them alive. But dying to our desires to have the American dream. You're going to die to good desires. If you're following Christ, you're going to deny yourself things that are good even. For what? Things that are better. Far more ultimate. And you can't do that. He'll take you on that journey. He'll do that in you. Why? Because He loves you. And He loves His glory And he won't share it with anyone. This is what we see here. We don't want to hear it, though. We don't want to believe it. 
We don't want to embrace it. Instead, we want to trust ourselves and essentially think we know best, and that's the problem. It's the problem with the disciples. That's the problem with every person since then. If the disciples who are walking with Jesus are struggling with this, I don't think it's a far cry to say some of us might be too. Why does God have such beef with humans who trust themselves? And he does, in case you're wondering. He really does, right? 1 Corinthians 1.19 says this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That's beef. I will destroy, he says. Why? Well, they're fighting words. The Apostle Paul actually elaborates on that a little bit in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians. He says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, Right? It pleased God through folly of what we preach about a crucified Messiah to save those who believe. So not only is God not going to be known by any of us through our high intellect. He won't allow it. Why? Because then you could brag. Well, I know God. Why don't you know God? You need to study. He won't allow that. He will not allow that. He requires us to believe in something that's so beyond what wisdom would talk about, that a man lived a perfect life, that he died a substitutionary death, that he resurrected from the grave, defeat and Satan, sin and death, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he calls on all people to repent everywhere of their sin, to come to receive King Jesus, to submit, to confess he is Lord, and to trust him. That's the only way to be saved. He is the truth, the life, the way. There's no other way. King Jesus, that's it crucified Messiah, and people say, that's stupid, and he says, it's the only way. It's the only way. I want another way. There isn't another way. Too bad. Well, it just doesn't seem very enlightened for the world we live in. Too bad. He won't share. This is beautiful if you can see it, and if you can see it, that was a gift God gave you. It's not because you all of a sudden God, to see it, I understand. You understand because God allowed you to understand. Why is God at war with human wisdom or trusting in ourselves? Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Thank you, Paul. 1 Corinthians 1, 25-31 tells us. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Con for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, right? According to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Comma, so that. Anytime you see that, here's why. I don't have to guess. I don't need some special moment to understand. He tells us, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of Jesus, you're in Christ. That's what He says. It's beautiful. Because of what He's done, who became wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Oh, maybe, may Jesus be magnified in and through this people. After you're all dead and gone, if this church exists and Jesus hasn't returned, may Jesus be magnified in this people. 
and shut it down if he's not. Why? Because we want to make much of Christ. And we're praying for lots of people who want to make much of Christ. Not much of ourselves. God is at war with human wisdom. He's at war on leaning on our own understanding. And this is why God in His wisdom does not permit people to know Him apart from Him. Church, we are to be united around the message of Christ crucified. His cross. Even though it's going to look foolish to the world. It will look unimpressive to the world. It will sound unimpressive to your friends. You may feel foolish talking about it to your friends. But may God help us to say with the Apostle Paul that I am unashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. I'm unashamed. And if you're ashamed, confess you're ashamed. There's a, lot, there's a lot worse things than confessing. Confessing's a gift. Confess. I'm ashamed. Help me to be unashamed. Help me to believe. Help me to trust. Help me to see. This world and people's approval has too much of a grip on me. Help me to have an audience of one. Help me to only be concerned about what you think. Do you pray like that? I'm praying you do. I'm praying you do. And I'm, do, I'm doing that because there's moments where, where I, I'm telling you, in the moment, I'm ashamed, I'm afraid. God help us. See, the message of the cross will never sound impressive in worldly terms. It won't. Christians will always be faithfully offensive by presenting the gospel. doesn't mean we have to be offensive, but the cross is offensive. And this... So help us to trust you. Now, you want to see that in a text? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly. That means it's repulsive to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power and the beauty of God. So if you see the cross as beautiful, thank God he's opened your eyes. Thank God he saved you. And that's why. Now, we've got three points that we haven't even got to yet. And you think, does he know that? He does. <laughs> he does. The first point is this. Cross-centered ministry is about getting people to Jesus. I don't think that's real tricky. Uh, these, are, these are application points or understandings or, or truth that is drawn from the text that we were in. Okay? This man is trying to get his boy to Jesus. Why? Because he knows that's where healing is. That's where hope is, right? Um, how does he know that? He's, he's no doubt heard rumors. <laughs> he may have even witnessed something, but I doubt that. He's probably heard there's this man, this, this guy walking around. Everywhere he goes, demons are getting cast out. People are being healed. All these things are happening. I need to get my son to him, right? And so, church, we have a real enemy who's working to keep people from Christ. There are shattered people all around us. And, and part of our work in that is to be praying for them, to know them. When Jesus says, while he was coming to the boy, he said, the, the father says, look at my son. There's so much more than like, I, he's saying, see him. See him. 
See the condition he's in. Notice he's being crushed. Notice he's being shattered. Have compassion. Heal my son. That's what he's saying. See my son. And even as Jesus is there, and he's looking at his son, he says, bring the boy to me. So you see that cross Center ministry is about getting people to Jesus. But what happens, even as he's coming, while the boy was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him. Mark tells us that he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. So listen, this is going to be hard work. <laughs> they won't come easily. They won't come just from one invite. They might. I'd be shocked. But they won't come easily. So we're going to have to trust God to help us. Look around. Notice the people in front of you. Slow down. Build margin into your life. See the people around you. See the people here. Do you talk to the same people every Sunday? It can happen even in a church like this. This size. Do you know anything of anybody's burdens they're carrying? Here, right now. If not, I'm not telling you so you feel bad. Because bad, feeling bad won't change anything. Except your day. It's a buzzkill. If God's convicting you, know this. He only convicts His children so that he, you can see what's best for you. And then you confess it. And He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just go boldly before the throne of grace. I don't see the people around me. And he'll be like, I know. That's why I allowed you to see that today. God, help me to see. Well, he'll do it. It's going to change you, though, in such a good way. we got to know our neighbors. We need to seek to love them. And I don't mean warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Last year around this time, we entered a time of, it was like an eight-week sermon series or something like that on prayer care, share. Our whole aim over the summer was to see the people around us, to commit to praying for them, to in some way show we care through hospitality of inviting them into our home, going to their home, going to their kids' sports events, whatever. And then at some point over the three months period of time, we were going to, by God's grace, share the good news of Jesus Christ by either sharing an article, a book, a pamphlet, our words from our mouth. But we wanted them to know and we wanted them to wrestle with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we also wanted them to know that if they didn't come to trust in Christ, we still loved them. We still loved them. So, point two. <laughs> cross-centered ministry is about trusting Jesus to bring the healing we all need you know in Mark's account it says Jesus says to the, the father he says do you believe he says all, all you have to do is believe and, and I love what the dad says he says I, I, I believe help my unbelief by the way, you might think, well, that's pretty weak faith. I agree. And it was sufficient because Jesus healed the boy. You might think, I have really weak faith. Welcome to the club. <laughs> We're not going to accomplish anything amazing in this city for the, for the name of Christ because we all have the most amazing faith. 
It's because we have really insufficient faith in a very sufficient Savior. And we trust Him. And we believe. And then we say, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. What does that show? It shows humility. God loves to work through humble people. Why? Because He loves to make Himself known through sloppily following Christ. Stumbling forward. Most people never do anything in the name of Jesus because they think they've not arrived. They don't know enough about the Old Testament. Share what you got. Share what you got. Give what you got. And then tell them, well, what if they ask me questions about dinosaurs? Who cares, first off? Dinosaurs are fascinating. I get it. Say this. Ready? I don't know. That's a great question. I've often wondered that myself. Can I tell you something I do know? Jesus came to seek and save sinners like you and I. I know that. And I don't know much more. But I know some people who might. You should come with me. What we're talking about here is not rocket science. You just got to get out of your head. You got to quit trusting yourself. Quit trusting yourself. You make a horrible God anyway. And you're like, is he looking at me? I'm looking at you. And I got a mirror. And I'm looking at me. The last thing, cross-centered ministry is about magnifying Jesus. That's it. And when we trust in him, there's no way we can't do that. There's no way we can't not do that. That's a terrible sentence. My English teacher would not be happy. But that's okay. Family, we live in a dark world. And you're like, well, where I live is shining. Praise God. Live it, enjoy it, soak it up. You're on the mountaintop, praise the Lord. Your valley moment will come. This world's actually getting darker in so many ways. It really is. And the darker the times come, the brighter the church shines. I think it's an exciting time to be alive. I love being alive at this time. 15, 20, 30 years ago, everybody was ho-humming around. We're all Christians, living a Christian nation. No, you didn't. But it's a better time, really. We can unpack that if you want. It was in some ways. Other ways it wasn't. But the times have always been evil ever since the fall. We just maybe lived in a different pocket of time where it was great. And we all long for that day. But listen, I love the season of life we live in. And you and I were made for a time just like this. You think, well, I really wish I was born in the 40s. Well, maybe some of you are. I wanted to live in the 40s, 20s, 1800s. I don't know. None of you lived then. And if you did, we really need to talk. <laughs> but you live now. And God is doing great things now. Amazing things now. He desires to see His glory shine in this city, through weak people like you and I. Very ordinary people. You and I are very ordinary. And this is the people he uses. 
But he doesn't use us like some chess pawns. You're his children. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you're his beloved children. And he loves you. You, he loves you so much, he won't let you have ministry success if it's about you. Oh, he desires to shine through you. Will you, will you decrease so that Christ in you can increase? And when that happens, he is magnified. He is magnified. A church that will do this, their life, I mean the way they live with integrity, according to the Word of God, their lips, they'll match. They'll match. And when that happens, you'll hold fast to the gospel as, as though you need it like air in your lungs every day. And you will hold it forth for the people in front of you and around you and behind you. So we come to this throne of grace to receive and then you leave here today, you leave and you scatter. But you don't go alone. You go and the Holy Spirit goes with you and you go with the gospel in your heart and on your lips to share to a dead and dying world. Will you trust them? Will you trust them to the Lord? Will you trust that his gospel is powerful? Will you share this life-giving news with the people around you? Oh, I believe help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for allowing us to see that the church will not triumph through any other means than denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following you. God, I, I absolutely believe the people in this room believe. And I also believe in so many ways we're riddled with unbelief. And so, Lord, I pray that you would rid us of all of it, to trust in you, that you are sufficient. Father, if there's anyone in here who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray you would open their eyes to see and to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, you willingly put on flesh and lived a life that we could never live, that you lived a life perfectly in perfect obedience to the Father, and that you willingly went to a cross and you substituted yourself. You received the wrath of God in the place of sinners. You became sin upon that cross so that sinners like us could receive the righteousness of God and receive adoption by faith alone in Christ alone. And it's a major gift. And I pray that you would cause anyone here who's far from you to see that all they need to do is just receive to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and to know that you have resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and you are ruling and reigning on high and you are mediating a relationship between a holy God and a sinful people and you have said, come to me, all who are weak, all who are weary, and you will find sweet rest for your soul in Christ. Do this and so much more for your name's sake, for the good of your church, and for the joy of this city. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples, 
who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.